morning. Uh, is this on? Did I? We good? All right, cool. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share God's word with all of you this week. Um, <clears throat> you may know, you may or may not know, just last month I turned 40. So I can no longer pretend that I'm young. Well, I can still pretend I'm young, but I just, uh, yeah, that's, that's right. That's right. It's not how old you are, it's, it's how old you feel, right? So um, I'd love to be able to stand here and tell you that I've got it all together. I'm 40, I'm an adult now, finally. Um, you know, us millennials, it took us a little while to get started, but I'm finally hitting adulthood. Um, I'd love to be able to tell you that I have my whole life together. Um, but frankly, I'll be honest with you, my life still feels kind of like a big mess. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I was thinking about it just this week. I'm like, I don't have my stuff together. Yeah, I'm a dad. I've got five wonderful kids. But my house is a mess. My life is a mess. I wish I knew what I was doing. You know, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I don't know. I'm still not growing up yet. Like, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, so I was starting to kind of feel down a little bit this week. Um, just yesterday, I was, I was really discouraged. I was comparing myself to other people. I'm like, man, there's guys who started, like, pastoring churches at 18, and they're still, like, doing ministry. And I'm like, my life looks more like this with, you know, a roller coaster. And, um, but God's word spoke to me. Um, <laughs> he had told me what he wanted me to preach. And as I was thinking about it yesterday, I'm like, I think he's talking to me. So I just wanted to ask you, is, is that you? Do you feel like your life is upside down sometimes. Do you struggle to see where God's working? Do you look at your circumstances? Do you look at the decisions you've made? Do you look at who you are and say, man, I just don't know where God is in the middle of this mess? And so um, we're going to turn to a passage in God's Word today that many of you probably would not look to for comfort. Um, we're going to look to the first 17 verses of Matthew chapter 1. And I think a lot of times we struggle to relate to the people in the Bible. You know, we, we, we're going to read the genealogy of Jesus, and we're going to see a lot of names. And we can look back and see, oh, yeah, no, those people, those people were, you know, their children became the, the parents of Jesus. But we have to put ourselves... Imagine being Abraham when he was 88, 89, 90, and then God shows up to him and says, I'm going to give you, I'm going to make your descendants greater than the stars in the sky. And, and we look back and say, well, God did that. Yes, we, we know about Isaac and Jacob and the, the 12 tribes. Like we, we look back with hindsight. We can look back at this entire book of stories and if you've been going to church for any length of time, if you grew up going to church, you know all the stories. You know what happens to Abraham. You know what happens to David. We have hindsight. And sometimes we look at our lives and be like, well, just because God did it for David doesn't mean he's going to do it for me. Look what God did in David's life. My life's a mess. But we have to, we have to remember that our story's not written yet. Our story isn't finished. And so, as we look back at the list of names in this book, I want us to be encouraged that if this is how God did it then, this is how he may be working now. All right? 
All right, so turn, with, turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 1. I'm going to be reading from the English Standard Version today. And uh, say a little prayer for me, because I don't want to butcher these names. Starting in verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, and Ram the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab the father of Nashon, and Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and Rehoboam the father of Abijah, and Abijah the father of Asaph, and Asaph the father of Jehoshaphat, and Jehoshaphat the father of Joram, and Joram the father of Uzziah, and Uzziah the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Amos, nope, yep, nope, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, and Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, and Manasseh the father of Amos, and Amos the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the deportation to Babylon. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, and Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, Eliud the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Methan, Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. All God's people say amen. Who, uh, whose favorite Bible verse is in that passage? John 3.16, yep, yep. Romans 10, 8 through 9, yep, yep. Lots of, lots of wonderful passages. Psalm 23, sure. Matthew 1, 14. And Azor, the father of Zadok, and Zadok, the father of Achim, and Achim, the father of Elia. Who's, n- nobody. No one's stitching that on a pillow, right? In fact, if, uh, if, this, if these passages or the passages with names or any of the chronologies come up in the, in the Sunday school curriculum and the teacher's like, okay, who wants to read? Everyone's like looking around like, nope, nope, I'm not, I'm not touching it. All those crazy names. I, I hear you. Um, <clears throat> the crazy thing, though, is that for some reason, this is, in the, this is in our Bible. And we know God's word um, all of God's word is inspired. It's uh, able to teach us. It's good for correcting us, guiding us, rebuking us, reproving us. God's word is inspired. And there is a reason this is in the Bible. <clears throat> and so there's a couple things I want us to look at in this passage. I want us to note from the passage, and then we're going to look at how we can apply this to our lives. The first thing I want you to see is that a nation came from a nobody. Abraham, the father of Isaac. Abraham was 90 years old. 
without any children. And yet from him came a nation, a nation of people. That's just wild. How, how can a nobody turn into a nation? And, and, and I want to be very careful here. He's not, the, he's not the only nobody in this list. Down in verse 8, is that 8? 5, Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab was a prostitute, right? Remember the story of Jericho and Ai? The spies show up in Jericho. Rahab's the one who puts the, the scarlet thread in her window. She was a woman at a time when women did not have power or authority. And I'm not, I mean, yes, I mean, Jericho, she was a woman. But I want you to think about at the time of Jesus and the time of the Romans, why would Matthew include a woman's name in here? Like, like this, isn't, this isn't upping the lineage of Jesus to say that, she, that he was, one of his ancestors was a prostitute and a foreigner. She was a Canaanite. And we look, she's not the only one. Ruth, another woman. And she was a Moabite. Again, these, these are people are the enemies of the people of Israel. And Jesus is the Savior of Israel. He's a Jew. He's the King of the Jews. And so you'd think his disciples would want to hide some of his non-Jewish lineage. But they don't. And because, and the reason they don't is because it's not about earthly power. It's about God's word. So we see a nation came from a nobody. Second point I want you to see is the Messiah came from a mess. I mean, we can look at these names and they're printed in pretty, like, you know, I've got a little pretty ribbon, the, the paper's nice and white and clean, and they're just little black words. But Abraham committed adultery. He slept with his servant, right? Tamar, here, right? It says, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. Tamar was his daughter-in-law that he thought was a prostitute. And so he slept with his daughter-in-law, and then he was going to kill her. And, like, this is a disaster. This is, this is not sanitized. This, this, is, this is gross, all right? That, that's gross. She lost two of her husbands, the sons of Judah, and ends up getting impregnated by her, her former husband's, deceased husband's father. Like, that's wrong. Look at the story of, so what do we see? Obed by Ruth. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. That, that's the story of Naomi. Naomi lost her husband. She lost her two sons in a foreign land. So she took her whole family. They went to another land to escape a famine. And then she lost her husband and her sons. Now, I mean, it's sad, yes, but we have to put ourselves into this world, into the ancient world. There's no social security. There's no welfare. There's no health insurance. There's no, there's no jobs, right? She can't just go down to Kmart and get a job. No, Kmart's... I'm 40, forgive me. She can't go to Walmart... <laughs> Yeah, just dated myself there. 
She, she just can't go into the city and get a job at the store. That's not how it worked. If she, if she lost her husband, he was the one who did the farming. Her sons were the ones who took care of the land and the animals. She's an old woman. Not a lot of physical strength there. She lost her livelihood. She lost the ability to provide for herself. That's a mess. And then I, I love how David, the father of Solomon, by the wife of Uriah. So we know Uriah's wife's name was Bathsheba. <laughs> that little line, David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. That, that's nice and clean, isn't it? But if you know the story... He slept with a woman who was not his wife, who was married to another man. And then he had that man killed because she got pregnant. And then that baby died because of the sin. So Uriah was murdered after the king slept with his wife and she became pregnant. That's a mess. This whole family line is a giant disaster. And we can look at it and we can read it. You know, sometimes, sometimes some pastors are brave enough to read it at Christmas time, you know, because they want to start at Matthew 1 and they want to go through the Christmas story, you know, and it kind of picks up. Isn't that kind of awkward? Like we always start at Christmas time, we start at Matthew 1.18, but nobody, <laughs> nobody starts at Matthew 1.1. You know it. You, you know it. You're like, come on, God, why is this in here? If it, this, this should start at 18, and then that'd be easy to preach on. Like, what, am I, what do I do with this? And it's because it's a mess. I, I mean, this, this family line is a mess. But, and we, again, we have hindsight. But at one point, David was the father of Solomon, right? David had Solomon, his son, and then he got kicked out of his kingdom, if you know the story of David. So at one point, David, time, right, the present, was right here halfway through this passage. That was the present. That's where they lived. All these people lived lives just like you and me. They did not see what comes in verse 18, Okay? They, they couldn't turn the page. We can't turn the page. How many times do I wish I could turn the page in this situation that I'm in, this mess that I'm in? I just want to turn the page and get, get this past me. But I, I don't have that luxury, do I? Because time hasn't, t tomorrow hasn't come yet. I'm stuck today. We are all stuck today. And so when we read the Bible, it's very important for us to not just read it and say, well, yeah, that happened and gloss over the fact that these people had lives. These people had problems. These people were a mess. And Jesus, in his infinite wisdom, God, chose to be born to this family. Third thing I want you to look at is that the Savior came out of silence, came through silence. We see there, so all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. We've got stories. You open up the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings. We, we can read the stories of Abraham to David. 
And then from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations. We can read those stories. First and second, second Chronicles is filled with those stories. First and second Kings, Isaiah, Jeremiah, they have those stories. We know what happened. But for 14 generations, from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. For 14 generations, there were no Bible stories. We have these names here. Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Who is Zerubbabel? Who is that? Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. I don't know who Abihud is. There's, we don't know anything about Abiud. We don't know anything about Eliakim or Azor or Zadok or Achim. What's interesting is, is that a lot of these names are, are present. So these, these fathers and, and mothers named their children after existing Bible characters. They used the Bible as a, as a, a pattern. Zerubbabel was another name for um, Gideon. Gideon was called Zerubbabel. Eliud was another king. Like, a lot of these names are, are reused, Jacob, Joseph. So they're, they're naming their, their children after Bible characters that they would have had access to at that point. But we don't know anything about this. And, you know, what's interesting is that when you read about, I feel like in church, I grew up hearing all the Bible stories. And hearing the Bible stories in church and learning the Bible stories, learning about all the characters... People are like, okay, who's your favorite Bible character? Like, like, tell me, if you had to pick a Bible character, how many, have you heard this question before? Pick a Bible character that, you, you know, your life, you feel like your life's like. And so we're like, well, my life's like David, or I'm kind of like Saul, or I'm like, no. <laughs> you and I, we're like Eliud and Zadok. <laughs> we're, <laughs> I mean, we'd be lucky if our names got listed in the Bible, you know, like. No, we're just moms and dads having kids. We're just children with parents doing life. You know, when's the last time you've seen God part waters like Moses? Or when's the last time you've been thrown in a fiery furnace and lived? You know, where's, where's this miraculous power? Well, like it's not here either. Like this is what's incredible is that God was working through each of these families. And we have no record of them other than these names right here. And so the Savior was born after silence. There is nothing that's mundane with God. I think we need to get over this thought that there's like spiritual stuff and then there's secular stuff. Like, I go to church, I pray, I read my Bible, but then on Monday I go to work and I sit at a computer or I, I work with my hands or I go to school and I read my history textbook. And, and so this is, this is like world stuff that I have to do. And then over here is like the God stuff I have to do. No, I mean, there's nothing mundane with God. It's, it's, all, it's all one thing. Our whole life is is holy because he bought us. So this is what we see in the scripture that 
a nobody became a nation, a mess gave birth to a Messiah, and the Savior came from silence. So what I want you to see, what, what I think the big point of this is, is that through Jesus, our lives can be completely changed. Completely changed. And maybe not in a miraculous kind of way, but in a, when we get to the end and we stand before Christ, we will look back and we will be able to turn the page. And we'll be able to see what he was doing. We'll be able to see how he was working in the mess. And we'll be able to see what comes and what the results are that we are not able to see here. There's a lot of things that we can't see. And so Jesus, when he came, he changed everything. He turned this humble family tree into something meaningful and significant. He gives this list of names ultimate meaning. So there's three things that I think we can apply, and one is God can and will use anyone from anywhere. It doesn't matter whether you grew up going to church. It doesn't matter what color your skin is. It doesn't matter what your family background is. God can use you. And he will use you. He wants to use you. Second thing is there's nothing that God cannot overcome. Nothing that God cannot overcome. There are no perfect people in the Bible. None. Jesus alone, right? There are no flawless heroes. You, this, this reads like a, you know, I think we're tempted in our modern-day church culture, we're tempted to read this as like the heroes of the faith, right? The great, the great of the greats of the Old Testament. But when you really get down and dirty, these are some messy people who had messy lives, who had bad things happen to them, who did bad things to others. And God overcame all of that. There's nothing that God can't overcome. And so maybe in your life, you're struggling with family relationships, and you're like, this is a mess. This situation's a mess. Maybe you're dealing with the consequences of your sin. Like, this is a mess. But God can overcome it. Because he did. He absolutely did. Jesus showed up at the perfect time in history. And then the last thing that I, I want us to kind of take away from this is that God does some of his best work in the shadows. Like those parents had kids and they lived lives and their kids had kids and they lived lives and their kids had kids and lived lives. In the King James Version, or yeah, King James, it says, and you know, it uses the word begot, which just means to have a kid. So, you know, Jeconiah begot, Shealtiel, Shealtiel begot, Zerubbabel. I was going to name this, what's the beginning for? Because um, sometimes I think we read this and we're like, why is this in here? And it's in here to show us that, that God is working, always working, miraculous working. We may not be able to see what he's doing. You know, I had a couple conversations with people before church, and I know there's people in here whose spouses are of cancer and sick. I know that people have lost loved ones recently. 
And I know that some of us are just wrestling with kids, with parents, who've got a lot of little ones at home, and they make life crazy. And some of us are students who are just like, what on earth am I ever going to use math for? I have no idea. <laughs> what am I going to do with this life? And like I said, I'm 40. I still don't know what I'm going to do with my life. <laughs> but that's, that's why we can turn to this and we can be comforted that in the midst of all these names and all these people, that God was doing something. God was doing something. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. That's, that's Matthew 1.18. The birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Jesus showed up on the scene in history. And all of a sudden, all of this Old Testament, right? Matthew's the first book in the New Testament. So this is Matthew. This is the Old Testament. All of this was given a new meaning. And you, you read through the Old Testament, and you're like, what on earth is some of this stuff? First of all, it's, it's not PG. If you've never read through the whole Old Testament, it is definitely not PG. Um, it's probably a hard R, honestly. There is some bad stuff in this book. <laughs> like, and if that surprises you or shocks you, I'd love to, I'd love to show you after service what I'm talking about. Um, but yeah, th this is not a clean, sanitized book. This is... This is but it, it's just a bunch of stories about a bunch of people. What gives it significance and meaning is the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, fully divine, right? He existed with God in the beginning, John 1. In the beginning was God, and in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the, the Word is Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we behold His glory. That's John 1. So, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. Jesus... The eternal, co-eternal, always existing, forever, powerful, fully divine. He has this full power of God. He is the power of God. God the Father is the mind. Jesus is the power. He was there in the beginning with God. So when God said, light be, that's the power of Jesus. That's the power of Jesus. To create from nothing. Ex nihilo. That's Latin for from nothing, literally. Like nothing. He's not just taking what was and like, like we do, like we play with Legos, right? Hey, there's a bunch of scattered Legos and I built a ship. Well, where did the Legos come from? No, God, God does not build Legos. God creates. And this is the power of Jesus. He came... Because we had messed up our relationship with God. The mess didn't come from God, okay? God did not create humanity. He did not put us here on this earth, throw a mess at us, and be like, there, you figure it out. No, no. He, he made us, and the first thing we thought is, this is nice, but I kind of want to do it my way. And because of that, <laughs> we were born into a mess, and we make the mess worse. Like, this is sin. This is the, the epitome of sin. We are living in mess, and we make the mess worse. Well, God was not okay with that. He's not okay with that. So he sent Jesus, he sent himself to bridge that gap, to bring us closer to him. And he didn't send him riding on a white horse with a sword. 
That's what, that's what Peter, James, and John were expecting. That's what the Jews were expecting. They were expecting a conqueror. The problem they didn't understand is that if Jesus came as a conqueror, nobody got to be saved because he cannot tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate imperfection. He does not want us to live with that mess. It, it upsets him. So he came as a child, lowly, meek, and mild. He gave up his, his divine power, and he came to be born in the most humble way. And he came from real people who lived real lives. And as a result of that, we can have access to God. And so, as we have here, I want you to think about your life this morning. Think about the mess, because I believe that all of us have mess in our lives. I don't care whether you're 17 or 70. If you don't have a mess of some kind in your life, I think you're probably deceiving yourself. Because until we get home to be with Jesus, there are things that aren't perfect. We're either wrestling with pain, loss, confusion, sin, temptation, hopelessness. We've all got mess. And so when Jesus takes that mess, I want you to visualize this with me. You, you, you've got your mess here, whatever it is, you put it in your hands, and then Jesus shows up right in the middle of that. And what does he want to do with that mess? What, what does Jesus want to do with the mess in your life? You say, well, geez, Jeff, I don't know. And I don't know either. Like, I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know what page two looks like. I don't, I don't know what, what he's going to do, but I do know this. He will use it. He has a plan for it. He has a purpose for it. And more importantly, he wants to sit down with you as you sit there with your mess. And he wants to comfort you. And he wants to be with you. And he wants to say, Jeff, I'm not going to tell you what this is turning into. I'm not going to give you all the answers. But just trust me. Let me walk with you through this. And that's where, that's where all of a sudden we begin to be transformed and changed. And that life change, that turning, that opening up, that letting go begins to transform us. And we become more and more like Jesus. And he begins to use us in the lives of the people around us. So this morning, we're going to take, we're going to respond to God. We're going to pray. The worship team's going to come up. We're going to sing a song in response. But I just want you to think about what is it in your life that you would like to see Jesus transform? What is it in your life you would like to see different? And then just pray. Give that up to Jesus. And then just remember, look at what he did. Look at how he used all these families, all these people, all these imperfect people. And have faith that he will transform your life too. That one day, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Your story will be told. I believe that. When we get to heaven, it's a long, long time, and one of the things we're going to see up there is God's version of this book. And God's version of this book includes everybody. 
every story, your story and my story. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your word that from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation, the end of Revelation, that every word, every verse, every chapter speaks to us some way of your greatness, your mercy, your majesty, your wonder, your love, your grace, your justice. And so, Jesus, I just ask this morning, whatever we're going through, you know. You, you know who's here. Jesus, you know a lot better than I do. And um, I just pray that you would do the work in our lives, that we would let go of our mess. We would let go trying to figure it out. We would be comfortable just sitting in silence. We'd be comfortable remaining in the shadows, allowing you to do your work. We'd have peace as we grieve. Our mourning would be turned to gladness, Father, that as we wrestle with health issues, that we would look at that and say, yeah, God, I don't know why or what's happening, but you got this, and you have a plan for it. And I pray, God, that our hope would not be that our situation gets better, but our hope would be that you are coming back and you will make everything right then. And so I pray that you would lift our spirits today, Jesus. If there's anything that is stopping us from just having a relationship with you, from walking with you, God, we confess it, we'd admit it. And God, we'd be transformed so that, that we don't just stay in this room, but that we go and we be salt and light, that we share with our friends who have messes, the people that we work with who have messes, our, the students sitting next to us in class that have messes of their own. And we'd be able to say to them, hey, I don't have all the answers. My life's a mess too. But I want you to see the goodness of the God that I follow. Lord, we pray these things in your name. Amen.